here's a quickie quiz. Question, what's the most popular sandwich everywhere? Hamburgers. And where do we get the best hamburgers? Here at our refreshment stand. Our hamburgers are made of selected inspected meat, seasoned to perfection, cooked just the way you like them. How about a hamburger? Oh, it's blue. Right now. Hello, everyone. It's Dan. Welcome to episode 91 of Eventually Super Train, the short-lived TV show podcast. We cover short-lived TV shows that never got enough love. Three shows at a time, one episode at a time. Eventually, we will get to Super Train. Thank you so much for joining me. Hey, episode 91. That's something, right? Hey, I hope you're enjoying the show. If you've been here since the beginning, as always, thank you. If this is your first episode, I hope you like it. Uh, So what's going to happen? I think you will. Uh, What's going to happen here? we got three segments. The first segment is going to be with my friend, uh, podcaster, uh, Tim S. Turner, or as I call him, and we will be talking Nero Wolf, 1981, episode 6. Then I will be talking Shadow Chasers, the episode Chorus Stranger, the 10th episode, and I'll discuss the original air date of that within the segment and then the great Kristen Hawes aka Kiki Wright's wonderful writer and podcaster is back to join me to talk about episode 2 of Auto Man and I'm not going to say the title of it here because I say it about a half a dozen times in the segment so that's that's the three segments and yeah I hope you enjoy it. listen to this and I will see you on the other side guess what guess what would taste good right now to everyone in the car candy We've got your favorite kind at the concession stand. Come on down and pick out the kinds you want to enjoy during the rest of the show. Be sure to get plenty because everyone likes candy and our big variety is chosen to please everybody's taste. Episode 6, To Catch a Dead Man. Directed by Edward M. Abrams. Teleplay by John Meredith Lucas. Original air date, February 20th, 1981. This one begins with sort of a um, kind of nerdy guy on a cruise ship. It's the middle of the night, and he's trying to talk to the owner of the ship about something important. You know, he has some papers, and it's like, what's going on? You know, I need to, I need to talk to you. Something important is going on. And... Uh, as the the owner basically says hey i'll talk to you in a minute i gotta go do something else he goes away and when he goes away two frogmen sort of creep onto the boat grab this nerdy guy and pull him overboard ah so the next day the owner and a lady who's kind of a we'll talk about more it's kind of a sort of a permanent passenger on the ship and maybe a lady friend of the owner go to wolf and and uh, archie and it becomes, you know, hey, we need to find out where this guy is. Was he kidnapped? Is he still alive? What was he talking about? We've got big stuff going on. Is this, uh, you know, find out what was happening. And so as Wolf sits back in the brownstone ruminating, Archie goes to the ship. He talks with a bunch of people. Some of them don't like him. Some of them, like the lady, do. Um, he meets up with a very strange guy working out. And he also goes to the um, the rival, the big rival owner of like the, the ships too, that um, and uh, ch- chats with him about uh, what could 
be going on where the guy could have disappeared to what information he could have had and gradually as we go along we learn that there's a amazing web of intrigue going along and throughout this um well there's a lot of stuff going on and so we learn more and more about this and um well, I'll leave it there, because I think Tim and I, I cover it pretty well. So, uh, yeah, so it's investigating the disappearance of this guy and what information he had. Let me give you a blast of something, and uh, then you can listen to Tim and I chatting all over this episode. To Catch a Dead Man. Episode 6 of Nero Wolf, which sometimes in the opening is Nero Wolf, but then in the credits is Rex Stout's Nero Wolf. I'm just going to call it Nero Wolf, so bear with me if you if you find that problematic. Um, you can I don't know send a send a you know crossly worded letter to your uh, local congressman I guess, um, but I'm going to call it Nero Wolf from now on just because of too many things going on. But I yeah so we're so we're six episodes in, not quite halfway into the run of this show. Uh, obviously we're we're in I, I gave you all the info on the, on the plot breakdown. But I I want to dive right into this episode. And the way I'm going to do that is by introducing my guest host, the great, the powerful, the wonderful, Tim. Don't ask him what the S stands for, S. Turner. Tim, how are you? <laughs> I'm pretty good, Dan. How are you? I'm doing okay. I, um, I, uh, you know, I actually have the episode playing, and there's something, I, I, I mentioned this to you before, there's something that reminded me of the Green Hornet at the beginning of this episode. But I'm going to yes. ask you first. What did you think of this episode? And don't mention the Green Hornet because you're stealing my thunder. <laughs> uh, you know, you know, one of the things we talked about last time was that how the the quality of the episodes it seems to be we're hitting like good episode, bad episode, good episode, bad episode. I, I thought this one was kind of a dud. <laughs> I, uh, maybe, maybe. <laughs> I mean, I, it just it it just wasn't that well paced and it wasn't that interesting to me but i mean it might have something to do with the director but uh, i'm i'm not sure cuz i know it wasn't based it wasn't based on a a book right i don't believe so not the, not this one not yeah i know yeah yeah i um i will um i will just say my green hornet thing i'm going to say it now because i'll forget it <laughs> but there there is a great green hornet episode that takes place in, in like a marina somewhere in wherever the who knows where it was the green hornet took place i mean we know if you know the show but like i always felt like when you watch the green hornet tv series which Kristen and i talked about ages ago i always felt that like it, it was in some sort of strange weird like town i i always used to say like whenever you see the big building that the newspaper is housed in you always feel like godzilla is about to smash through it so i don't <laughs> know where that is, is set in but there's an episode set by on like boats and yachts and things and there's a sequence where like a guy does something or other and i want to say like a gal goes like below decks to get him a drink and he's standing by the edge of the boat and you get what is the alternately most silliest and sort of insidious thing you can do basically like two frogmen more or less come up out of the water <laughs> grab yes. him and drown him pull him in the water and drown him it's like that's horrible you know, and, and that's what happens at the beginning of this episode, except in this episode, they're like halfway up a cruise ship. So these guys yes. like really went a distance to get up there. But that's the way this episode begins, basically like in a 
uh, I was going to say an accountant, but it's like an executive kind of guy shows up on the ship and meets up with the, with the head guy there. And we need to look at this stuff. And as as the guy's standing there, suddenly these two like frogmen, more or less. I know what you're thinking, Beverly Hillbillies, frogmen. That 12 episode run from season nine. Put it out of your mind. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> we'll talk about that some of the it's one of the craziest runs of sitcom episodes ever. But but it's 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 weird because the moment I saw that I thought that's exactly like the beginning of that Green Hornet episode from like 15 years before. Basically, a guy is needs to impart some information. Suddenly, two people leap out of the water, grab him, and pull him under the water and drown him. The huh? Mm-hmm. That, that's interesting. Or, or maybe it's not that interesting. I don't know. Feel free to email me and tell me. Uh, I'll do a poll <laughs> on Twitter. Is this interesting or not interesting? But um, I actually, I, I have. <laughs> You know, here's the thing. We we don't want every single discussion we ever do on the show to be everyone agreeing with everyone else. But I agree with Tim. This one's kind of a dud. Um, my favorite thing in this episode is uh, my favorite thing. My favorite element of this episode is is it Susan? Is that the the woman's name? The lead lady? Um, I want to say her name is Susan, but I could be wrong. Uh, Susan Armand. Yes. 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 She's my favorite element of the show because she starts off like she's on the ship with Mr. Armand there, and it's it's a little tough to figure out what her, she's up to, and then after time it's like it's it's I'm still not a hundred percent sure exactly what her thing is, but it's like oh yes I'm I'm like a she's like a professional passenger or something on the cruise lines (laughs) and it's it's a little it's a little tough to describe but it's really weird because she i'm still not entirely enamored of lee horsley as archie however Mm. i think i think he and her have a really nice series of scenes in this episode and if you want to keep your focus on this episode if you start to lose focus and i'm looking at my notes i lost focus a lot um (laughs) <laughs> focus on her because there's something it's it's one of those characters where either I feel like either when they wrote it I was either meant to immediately go oh I understand her completely but or you're meant to sort of get her as it goes along at the end I don't think you get to either place but she's interesting she's an interesting character and there's something about her that I really like. And she's actually, actually, she is the last note I have written. It's Susan Ormond with a question mark because I didn't think maybe that was her name. Um, <laughs> but it's Susan. And she was, she's my favorite part of the episode, that character. Well, it doesn't hurt that she's incredibly easy on the eyes. She's lovely. Yeah, she is in, she is in, um, She's she. I forget the actress's name. She's in a. You'll you'll know her when you see her. And I should have. Why didn't I write her name down? I wrote her character's name down. Maybe maybe. Uh, I, uh, yeah, Kelly Harmon. Yes, yes. And she's about. She's yes. in a. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I, it, she isn't she uh, Mark Harmon's sister? Oh, I could see that definitely. Yeah, yeah. She I definitely... I, th- I believe so. I mean, if you look at her, they look. I they have very similar faces, but. Yes, I prefer her legs to Mark Harmon's legs. But having watched well, Battle of the Network sure. Stars, he's got nice legs too. I'm gonna argue. I'm gonna <laughs> argue. Oh, I looked um, it up. Yep, yep, they're siblings. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Okay. Because I, th- I think because she, she is in a, I think she's in like a Battlestar Galactica episode where like Starbuck and, and like crashes on a planet, and they're like, um, and maybe there's a Cylon there or something, or they're. 
they're up to something and they're like a this couple that live in the middle of nowhere with their kids and she begins has a, a romance with Starbucks or something like that. Battlestar Galactica is one of those shows that I watch all the way through about three times a year, but it's not actually a show that I love. I just <laughs> find it very comforting to have playing. Um, but she's in that, and she's you, you'll know her when you the moment you see her, you'll know her. And then when you look her up on IMDb, you'll think, I thought she'd be in more. Oh, yeah, she only has 14 credits. Yes, I was surprised, right? Me too. Yeah. so she... I actually thought I'd seen her in a lot more. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was like, I, yes. oh, I know her. The, the moment, <laughs> Yeah, maybe it's because she looks like Mark Harmon. We're, we're sort of grandfathering in all the times, like summer school or something like that. It's I mean, like, the only wow. thing that she really did, uh, you know, other than guest appearances, was she was a regular on Bay City Blues. But, oh, yes. you know, that's like a one, half a season show. Maybe maybe one day we'll cover that here. I don't know. <laughs> if we can find it, if we can find it. Yeah, um, no kidding. Yeah. Um so um uh yeah, so so I think I think the thing with this episode is that it's it's one of those like that one with all the gangsters a few episodes before and right. ki- kind of the one with the all of Archie's friends. Maybe that's the best sort of touch um point. That's not the right word, but you know the best the best place to sort of look at for kind of like dud episodes might be right. that one. But there's something like uh, there's a lot of stuff that goes on in this episode. Archie does a lot of investigating. He does a lot of looking at stuff. He becomes a plumber at one point. He does a lot <laughs> yes. of stuff. He gets locked in a freezer in a rather underwhelming sequence, and um, it's. And and when you it's it's one of those where unfortunately when you get to the end and Wolf assembles everyone to talk to them, mm-hmm. it, it feels kind of like the episode should be over. It, it's yes. I, I, if that makes sense, it, it almost feels like okay, you're just doing this because you're. This is like you know when Mork would talk to Orson, you know at at the end of the episode. You know he did that at the end of every episode, <laughs> as far as I know, right? Um, I think but, so. Yeah. Yeah, but but he would, and so you'd expect that. So it's like oh, so you expect. Wolf to um, have the sequence where he walks around the room, or just this one, does he walk around the room in this? I forget. Um, uh, but he, <laughs> you know, at least he's sitting in his chair and he's going through the suspects and things. But there are just some times where it's like it it, it doesn't feel like a murder mystery. Kind of. Right. It, it feels like there's, it's more of a spy and uh, kind of like uh two different um, arrival crews things going at one another kind of thing. And when they actually get to the point where he's like, here's the murderer, you kind of sit up and go, wait a minute, I'm looking at my notes, there's a murderer? What's going on? I <laughs> yeah, thought, wait, did somebody I, die? I thought there, I, I saw two I saw two frogmen rise up the side of a cruise ship and pull a guy in the water. Does that, we're stretching. Because to, to me, you know, you, you can farm out you can farm out the occasional murder, but it feels like we're farming out too much uh, well, in some of these the, shows. The other murder, the uh, the one that the, that our, our our killer actually dispatches himself, uh, Martin Kelsey. Uh, when when Archie meets him, he is wearing this teeny tiny crop top. What the heck? And little little shorts, and we're talking about a middle aged doughy man. <laughs> and yes, it is, I. It is a mind boggling scene to watch. 
I yeah, I watched that scene and I like even Lee Horsley has a look on his face like I'm not sure how I'm supposed to react. Yeah, how am I supposed situation. to feel at this moment? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I would go back and watch that scene. Yeah, there's a scene where he tries to get a job. Well, he's going to try to get a job on the cruise ship, and he talks to the recruiting guy, and he's working out. And um, I did like that um, Archie says, I don't know if he's lying, but he was in the Marines as a supply sergeant. That's what my dad did when he was in oh, Vietnam. Really? He, he was he I, he was a supply sergeant. I forget what... Um, branch he was in but he was a supply sergeant oh, hey, that's cool but the whole time you're looking at this strange looking guy in this like half shirt like taking off his clothes and it's like normally like you would expect forgive me I hate to sound sexist but normally you would expect the lovely lady in the episode to get a scene where she's showering and you can see her like body behind a curtain shower right. curtain this one is this guy so yeah. I you know I don't I hey I I wasn't thrilled, and I thought maybe it had something to do with the episode itself. I don't remember if it did anymore. All I can see is that guy working out and thinking, oh, boy. Mm. No, he's literally killed the, the very next scene, <laughs> like right after yes, that. Yes, yeah, right in the shower. Yep, yep. <laughs> All right, so uh. um, uh, <laughs> what what else do you have on this one? I have a few, I have a few more notes, but well, any other thoughts on it? <clears throat> One of my issues, like I said, was I, I felt the pacing of it was dreadful. Um, it, it was directed yeah. by Edward Abrams, who directed a couple of Columbo episodes, and ironically, or uh, appropriately, they're, they're two that have pacing problems. Oh, which ones? Um, which ones are they? Uh, he did Short Fuse with Roddy McDowell. Oh, yes, okay. Which, by the way, I love that episode. I think Roddy McDowell's mm -hmm. fantastic in it. Yes. Um, and then he also did The Most Dangerous Match with uh, Lawrence Harvey. Okay, uh, sure, sure, yeah. The, the chess champion. Chess one, yeah. Y yeah, and both of those episodes really suffer from a glacial pacing. And it, regardless of how yeah. good the, the guest stars are in those episodes, they're very slow. Um, so I don't know if if that's what's go at work here or if it's His just thing, the script. Yeah. Um, I I have to say uh, there's a couple of people in the cast that I I, I liked seeing. Uh, this guy I, now I've heard his name. His first name is pronounced Cesare, not Caesar. Yeah, yes, yes. It's Cesare De Nova. And uh -huh. the only other thing I've seen him in uh, was what uh, was it the uh, the uh, it's a wax museum movie with him, um, where he's he uh, he's a detective solving murders in a wax museum. Oh, um, I feel like oh, I know that. God, I mean, why can't you, I remember the name you, you of it? Talk, you talk for another thirty seconds, and I'll look it up. It's driving me nuts. It's crazy. <laughs> this it's literally like late sixties, early seventies. Oh, holy moly! And if, if I recall, it was actually meant to be a pilot. For a, oh, is that the one series. with Cameron Mitchell? Yes. Yes. Uh, what is that called? That's crap. No, I know. Chamber I know of exactly Horrors. That's Chamber of Horror. Yes. Chamber yes. of Horror. Yes. Chamber yes, of Horrors. Yes, yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you know, it was kind of cool seeing him. Um, and now this is where <laughs> this is where I, I really embarrass myself. Um, Harold <laughs> uh, East in the episode, who's really kind of an inconsequential character, but mm -hmm. uh, he's played by. An actor named, uh, if I, pardon me if I butcher his name, is Charles Chioffi. Oh, that works. Uh, 
Yeah, well, the one thing I remember him from was he was in a big famous storyline on Days of Our Lives called The Cruise oh. of Deception. Oh, wow. And he was he was a, a big enemy of Victor Kyriakis uh, named Ernesto Toscano. Nice. And he nice. supposedly murders Hope Brady in front of Bo, like, like a dropper into a vat of acid or something wow. like that. But, of course, we find out a couple of years yeah. later when Christian Alfonso <laughs> returns to the show that it didn't actually happen. <laughs> but, I mean, that's that's what I remember the guy from. Wow. <laughs> Wow, yeah, I knew I knew him when I saw you know, I was like, Oh, that guy. And he's he's really he's really bitchy towards Archie in this episode. Oh yeah. Uh, he's and I like uh Cesare uh Donova there. I um yeah, what's Chamber of, I don't know why I didn't remember Chamber of Horrors. That was always that was one I remember from when I was a kid reading about in some book where it was like it was so violent that it had to get released to theaters. Right. And they, is that the I, one that had the horror horn? Yes, the horror horn and this, you know, it's not the, I, yeah, yeah, that's it. I was trying to think if there was a, an image too. I'm thinking of the movie Boarding House, which has the, um, oh, that God. from the, which has the hand and then the <laughs> noise. Yeah. But yeah, I, th- I think, I think Chamber of Horrors was the first one that the horror horn and like the, um, scary face or so, you know, yeah, just was, something to get your look Whenever away. something scary will happen, the horror yeah, horn will come on. So you can look away. Yes. And um, I know, I know. Oh my gosh, that scene with the guy working out has just started playing on my TV. I don't get what's happening there. <laughs> yeah, and look, but look at the shirt. It's not a half shirt. It's like a, no, a it's third like a shirt. Third. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> what is going on? Why I don't get does it. he have it on at all? <laughs> I don't know because he takes it off immediately when he's done. I don't know. Just leave it off. He because he's he, the thing is he's alone in the room. Yeah. So like if if you know I don't think he didn't expect Archie to show up and he immediately takes it off once Archie shows up so it's like just leave the shirt off why not you got a space rocket man <laughs> do it have a good time <laughs> yeah I I realize I know Césaire um, from um, uh, one of the things I know him from is the pilot of Black's Magic. Oh, the, was he uh, in that? Yes, he is. I believe he's the guy who dies. I. Uh, in it, oh, okay. I, I, I could right. be horribly wrong, um, but he is because the pilot of Black's Magic was is a wonderful short-lived show with Hal Linden and Harry Morgan. Oh, I it's love Levin, yeah. Levinson and Link. It's it's Levinson. Mm-hmm. It's a joy. It's Can't like go wrong really, with Levinson. You you cannot, and I mean it's really like it's it's one of those um, sort of Jonathan Creek esque, you know, something incredibly strange has happened and. How do you figure it out? And and Hal Linden plays um, um, uh, a magician who uh, figures stuff out, yeah. which is awesome. <laughs> I'm just I'm just looking real quick to make sure. I thought he was in Black Smash. I'm fairly certain. Yes, yes. Breathing Room, he, the pilot. He was. Yes, yes he um, was. And I I believe his daughter in that is the great. Um, uh, am I looking at the right spot here? Yes, Kath Kathleen Beller. Who is, um, if you know you made for TV Mayhem, you know that we love her. Yes. Over at Made for TV Mayhem. So, um, but yeah, so so I know him from that. The moment I saw him, I thought, oh, it's the guy from Black's Magic. Now, he's in it quite a bit because I don't think he gets killed until like, it's a two hour pilot. He doesn't get killed until like a half an hour in, so he's in there quite a bit. But Well, and Henry Mor- Harry Morgan's the his dad on that show, Harold uh, Howland's yes. dad. Yes, that's yeah, great. It's such a good show. It's such a good show. I wish it, it's it's one of those that 
I, I look at like like where Ellery Queen. I wish it had lasted longer. Yes, but that season is so good, and the thirteen or so episodes that we have of Black's Magic are all really good. So I would rather have thirteen really good episodes than like three seasons that go from really good to stinking up the joint. Now, do you remember when uh, you know Harry Morgan played uh, Inspector Queen? No, do I? No. Where, yeah, where? He, he was in. Uh, it was an Ellery Queen TV movie before they did the series. Uh, that instead of of um, <laughs> our, our regular guy, uh, who uh, who was it? Was his name? I'm sorry, I'm blanking on his name. Oh no, Jim Hutton. Jim Hutton. Jim Hutton. Instead of Jim Hutton, it was pre-Jim Hutton. It was '71, um, and, and like P- Peter Lawford was Ellery Queen. <gasps> okay, yeah. And Harry yeah. Morgan was his dad. <laughs> what? <laughs> Yeah. Wow, that doesn't. Nah, was, yeah, I don't know. I think they That's... explained it by saying that oh, he 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 went to school in England. Okay. They pulled that kind of thing, you know. Wow, that's um, yeah. <laughs> uh, it was actually the funny thing is is that actually I thought was a great mystery. Uh-huh. It was yeah, a serial I... killer in New York during like a heat wave. Mm-hmm. It was called "Don't Look Behind You." And that it's based on one of the novels, I think. Right? Yes. I, I want to say I think I've read that like Cat of Nine Tales or something like that. Right. I want to say something like that. Yeah, I've read the novel, but I haven't seen the the movie. Oh yeah, I remember. It, I remember it being good. Now that granted, that's probably through the eyes of an eight year old. So it might be absolutely dreadful. I don't know. Yeah. But. <laughs> Um, so let's let us so let us do this. We, we've chatted about it, and I, I don't think either of us are huge fans of this episode. No. So let us try to. I'm going to scan my notes one more time and see if I can pull out a few more things. You take a moment, and folks, you're not going to hear this pause. So, you know, relax, relax. We're just going to take a moment. <laughs> Oil fields. Yeah, I don't. It's weird. Yeah, I don't. I don't really have a lot on this one because it's so weirdly paced and things. Yeah, it, it, you know the thing that's kind of a bummer too is there's not a lot of um, interaction with the, like you know Fritz and Theodore either. Yes, it, mm-hmm. it seems very bare bones. Yeah, and, and even even though this is the episode that starts off with a shooting in the uh, orchid room, right? Which is again one of those shootings where it's like like it's a brownstone that's like four stories off the ground. How exactly are you? Like I'm four stories beneath, doing such an exact firing into. I, 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 I look. I'm not an expert on firearms, but it would seem to me that if you're crouched down across the street from a four-story building and you're trying to fire into like a greenhouse at the top of the building, you wouldn't be that accurate. I wouldn't think. I mean, it, it, you'd just be like, <laughs> you'd just be like hitting the bottom of the glass and then like hitting the top of the glass, like in the roof or something like that. But this guy, like nails everything well the thing that's hilarious too is that he's literally standing in the middle of the street yes just, yeah, and everyone's nobody's walking around. doing anything <laughs> he's just for like a minute i yeah you know i was thinking it's the point where it's like oh that's nero wolf's place yeah they that happens a lot that does seem to happen so far. I think this is what you said, episode six. And I think every single episode, somebody either gets shot outside, gets hit by a car, or, or, or the, the, the greenhouse gets shot or blown up or, you know. It's it's like the the, the it's so it's 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 Archie and Susan are, are walking through the orchids. And then all of a sudden you just hear like this. 
and all the glass starts exploding and orchids go everywhere. You're like, oh my God, they're getting shot at. And then you think, wait a minute, one, two, three, four. They're four <laughs> stories off the ground. How is someone, unless someone is in like a helicopter, no, it's just a guy in the street firing up. It, how does, how do you get any accuracy when you, it's a weird, it's a weird thing. And, and because they're so big on like, you know, like a lot of the orchids <laughs> were destroyed and things like that. And it's like that. I don't, I don't know that. I, I, I think what it is, is like the episode started off and remind me of the green hornet. And then, um, <laughs> you know, you meet the, the Ormans there and, um, and then you get that shooting sequence, and it's like, what? What is that? And sort of like that kind of like put a little skip in my narrative brain. And from that point on, I was a little bit off with the episode. And then when it gets to the end, I'm like, okay, that's fine. <laughs> I personally, I, I will give my final words, then you give yours, Tim. Uh, and um, I, uh, I, unless you have more, because I think I'm looking at my notes, and my, my notes are, there ain't much. <laughs> I did what I could. But there ain't much. Um, this will happen sometimes. <laughs> the one thing I find, you know, and this is just network television in 1981. Um, every time they show street shots, uh, I you I keep thinking, where's Frank Drebin coming around the corner to hit some trash cans? <laughs> yes. Because it, yes. You, it's clearly a back lot. Yes. Right? It's, it, it, yeah, it's it's got that thing. I think it was um, – Back when I was talking Manimal with, with um, Charlie Brown, uh, my good friend Charlie, uh, whose name isn't really Charlie Brown, by the way, folks, if you're wondering. You talk with Charlie Brown here. That's not his name. Um, but I talk with Charlie. And one of the, thing, one, one of the things is that I, I said in that, like, you, you could see those moments in Manimal when they go like – Adam 12 is a great show for this too, where they'd be out on location – and then suddenly, yep. like, okay, we're going to this house. And then suddenly, it's clearly they're on a back lot. They've gone from a street to a back lot. Oh, yeah. And I always used to say, the way you can tell is, and unless it's something like, say, Back to the Future, where, like, as the as the DeLorean's going down that street and, you know, and then Marty runs back around it in Back to the Future 2, and they're able to expand it and extend it, unless you've got a huge budget... All the streets on backlots are curved. Oh, and they're incredibly just spotless. Yes, they're they're yeah, ex- that too, that too. I was trying to be a little more. Um, I don't know what I was trying to do, but no, you're correct. They're they're spotless. Um, and and even when they're they're not spotless, you can sort of, if you look, you can sort of tell that the prop department was there. Sprinkled some stuff. Yeah, like uh, Kolchak the Night Stalker, uh, a show sure. I, I absolutely love that show. But it's the same thing. You can tell when they've done the Chicago location shooting. And, oh yes. You know and he's driving on location, right, in his his uh, Mustang, and then all of a sudden he turns the corner, and now you can clearly see he's on the Universal lot. Yes. Yes. <laughs> the same the same uh, you know L.A. Street or well Chicago Street or whatever he's supposed to be on. It, it's 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 I don't know. <laughs> part, part part of it too is like they'll do a thing like Adam Twelve will do a thing like you know the camera's always at like car level as they're traveling. Mm-hmm. But then the moment they pull up to the house, suddenly you've got this huge crane shot overhead. Mm-hmm. You can't, you can't do that. Like out on like a, un- unless you got a lot of money, you know, uh, out on like a mate. That's, that's, you do that on a, on a studio back lot because that's what they're made for. And 
Yeah, that that happens with the, with the Nero Wolf thing. Like when you see that guy firing his gun, it's like, oh wow, he's on the back line. Like I said, um, you to me to me it's it's the the clean element of it actually is a good one. But to me, it's always there's a curve when you look at the when you look at there's a curve or the street ends. So if you if you look down the street, the the street either curves one way or another or it ends and like tees tees off. Right. Because there's there, the, the street can't go on because it's a back lot. So that's kind of how you know when you look at it. And, um, and yeah, there's, you know, um, Wolf's um, Brownstone seems to be on one of those streets. It seems a very nice street apart from all the shooting. Well, yeah, well, that, um, but there's never any foot traffic and there's never any real traffic. So, you know. Yeah, true, true. <laughs> yeah, that's the great that's the great thing about it, you know. It's, you know and you know when the, the traffic's going to be there. Because that's when all the crews show up with the equipment, and you're like, oh, they're gonna, they shoot some stuff here. So, so what else do you have on this one? I am, I am good on this one. Oh well, actually, I did. I, I just remembered. I came up with a, a pretty nice little trivia bit for you. Um, oh, nice, well, you nice. know, George Voskovic, who plays Fritz. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is not his first exposure to Nero Wolf. Oh. Huh. Did you know? And I'm sure you do, but uh, <laughs> that there was a unsold pilot for Nero Wolf in 1959 with, as Archie Goodwin, William Shatner. Yes, I have not. I have not seen it. I, I'm, I'm saving some things for my old age. I, I watched one it of today. Them. How was it? It's interesting. It's very. I mean, first of all, the way they designed the brownstone, it, it looks nothing like a brownstone at all. It's it's very much. It looks like a, uh, like Nick Charles' apartment on the Thin Man. You know, it's very wide open, uh, big walls and blank white walls, and it, it, no bookshelves or anything. It doesn't. You know, it, and it feels very small, very cramped. Okay. There's no. There's no Fritz. There's no Theodore. There's no orchids. Or anything like that. Mm, and the wow. guy that they have playing Nero Wolf, uh, what's his name? Uh, Kurt Kasner. Mm-hmm. Uh, he looks like he probably weighs like 150 pounds. And then they put <laughs> like a bunch of pillows in his shirt. <laughs> uh, he's got a decent voice for it. But, uh-huh. you know, when you watch him, you're kind of like, oh, God, they couldn't have gotten a bigger guy. But I'll tell you, the <sighs> surprise is Shatner is a great Archie Goodwin. Whoa. I love it. He's love got it. a great uh, way with you know kind of you know how Archie's usually got kind of like a like kind of like a smart aleck you know like yeah. patter you mm-hmm. know uh, he's really good at it. Wow. And it's kind I of like a shame that. that we didn't get a little more of that. We could have seen you know a little more of development of the, his character. Mm-hmm. But uh, but anyway, George Voskovic is in it as Doctor Wolf, Wolfgang and. <laughs> uh, so when I saw his wow. name in the credits, I was like, oh wait a minute, that's oh, Fritz. That's cool. <laughs> wow, I didn't know that. I'm gonna have to watch that then. I I've been kind of that that's been something I've kind of been holding off on. Maybe when we're done, when we get to the end, I'll watch it. Yeah, but, it's yeah, been on I'm... YouTube for a little while. Oh, no. On there, a couple of different uh, recordings are on there, and apparently they actually filmed like three or four episodes, but oh. nobody knows what happened to the other episodes. But they, uh, they never were aired. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's cool. Um. Uh, th- thank you. Uh, so, um, if you don't have anything else, may may I ask where we can find you online? Well, absolutely. Uh, hey. You can find me and my co-host uh, Kelly Hogaboom on 
Beauty, the Beast, and the Bees, which is available on SoundCloud and iTunes. And we have, uh, you know, the usual Facebook, Instagram, Twitter feeds. And we also have our webpage, and, um, which is easily Googleable. And, uh, yeah, that's where we're at. Awesome. Thank you. Now, of course, folks, they're, they're not. We're not always going to love these episodes. That's going to happen. So, hopefully, the next one we will love. Although we might not. I don't know. You'll find out in the next one, everyone. So, um, hold on because we are about to. Oh, we're about to get into some very interesting areas in the realm of shadow chasers. Listen to this. In the mood for hot coffee? When you are, nothing else will satisfy. Coffee has a flavor, an aroma, a deep-down satisfying goodness all its own. And our coffee has something extra, the care with which we brew and serve it. You'll enjoy the show more while you're enjoying steaming hot coffee. Come and get yours now. Shadow Chasers, Episode 10, Chorus Stranger, directed by Alan Meyerson, written by Diane Frolov, aired first on the Armed Forces Network, as, as far as I know. Uh, I don't have an air date for it. Hey, that's going to happen for the next four, and I know it airs on Armed Forces Network because there's a little AFN that shows up at the bottom of the screen at one point. Hooray, hey, for that. So, what happens to this one? Um, well, it begins in 1939, a couple... Man, man, woman, leave a uh, like a diner in the middle of sort of the woods, and they wander into or clearing, and a gi- there's a gigantic bright light, and the two of them kind of stare up at it as the light kind of shines on them, and then we fade into uh, modern day. Well, I guess sometime 1986-ish, I guess, and 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 Benny and, and Dr. Morehouse and Jonathan are looking at a strange kind of white. Oh, I don't know, like an oval kind of shaped thing. It looks like um, it's uh, here. Here, l- listen to them talk about it, and um, it's kind of an ovally shaped sort of. Th- yeah, listen to this. Shower. These old photographs 
show the object as it looks back then. Tests done on the object show it to be an alloy of unknown origin. Nothing on Earth even resembles it. So it's definitely a UFO. The object in these photographs shows no luminosity whatsoever. I know. For some reason or another, this object has changed recently. So, I want you to go to Blueberry, Minnesota. Blueberry, Minnesota? That's your next assignment. I want an explanation of why this object has changed. We need eyewitnesses to that event. Which you think is a UFO landing, am I right? What can I tell you? Great mind, huh? <laughs> so the guys go to Blueberry, Minnesota to investigate. Uh, Jonathan goes to the Hall of Records, well, which is basically a couple of rooms with a very unhelpful employee, to check out the uh, sort of voter registration census thing for 1939 to try to find who was alive then, who maybe they can talk to about the meteor and, and, and what exactly happened. As Jonathan is there and is trying to get help from the very unhelpful employee, the very unhelpful employee calls the, uh, I guess, the sheriff, local, local chief of police or something, who gives... Um, Jonathan a um, $75 ticket um, coded in lies and also basically threatens him and says get out of town. He heads back to the hotel where they're staying at and there's a huge party going on. It's all like the golden age people. It's all the older folks in the area kind of got invited over to a party and there's a man named Hans uh, playing an accordion and turns out yeah this is benny's doing he threw this thing and he flew in hans from bavaria first class because hans and his accordion have the ability to um sort of well we'll hear a bit in a moment but they have the ability to sort of go to a uh site and he can he can pick up on sort of the past vibes and relive in his mind and explain to you what happened sort of piece by piece bit by bit and uh, so Hans is there, and Jonathan's too happy about this very expensive uh, guy being brought over. And at this party, they learn uh, the guys learn about Cora, Cora Walsh, who is 75 and who um, was engaged to one of the guys there, but they never got married because in 1939 she met her stranger, this man who vanished, and she's held the torch from ever since. They try to get in to see Cora. Um, but her nurse Ivy won't let them in. They play a little trick. They eventually break and enter into the house. They get to see Cora, and Ivy shows up, and they discover that Cora is now suddenly, out of nowhere, extremely pregnant, as in she's going to have a baby probably in the next 8 to 10 hours or something like that, and she's 75. So uh, Jonathan and Benny are arrested and taken to a local sort of um, army base type thing, um, where they're watching their own show on the Armed Forces Network. No, I'm kidding. Of course, it is. It is funny. This episode, uh, which is um, the the, it wouldn't have been the first one shown on the Armed Forces Network. I would bet, and, and you you'll hear something in the end that 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 definitely proves that. But it's funny, like the the first one that we get that was saved because they showed it on the Armed Forces Network is one that has a cover up in the armed forces and, and they're probably just like oh hollywood's doing it again yep like uh, I, we got eight aliens down this hall hospital hallway alone yeah we're they're crazy um but uh yeah and, and they're basically told dr morehouse is there and there's some sort of slightly sketchy colonel or doctor or something like that who benny knows from something other a previous cover-up and dr morehouse says that um uh they're given a uh she's given sort of a pat explanation and she says to the guys hey you know, uh, this is fine. Just 
hit the road but then as as they're leaving she kind of says you know what before you leave town you should probably stop at the at the at the landing site and so they take hans to the landing site they get into the edge of the meteor crater hans begins to play his accordion and as we see moments from the opening scene hans sort of narrates it Cora Stranger coming back for Cora and the baby. So Ivy has um, some folks from the local base come and basically more or less sort of kidnap her, and Jonathan and Benny aren't so thrilled with that. Here is um, a scene they've strapped Cora to like a gurney kind of thing, and they're taking her out of her home as Jonathan and Benny are kind of sneaking around. What is going on here? Go back, go back. Are you sure? Yeah, yeah. Oh, Cora's okay.
no, probably some kind of character flaw. I had the impression you were more intelligent. Well, there you go. See, you don't go by first impressions. If we had, we might have thought you cared about Cora Walsh. Even the most important research, you do not treat people like that. And so Cora is put into this uh, this base where the uh, that head guy there has basically said, you know, if something doesn't happen soon, we're going to do a C-section on her. And Ivy points out, we don't know anything about this. That might kill the baby. That might kill Cora. And, of course, in true like government cover-up fashion, he says, I'm okay with that. He doesn't quite say it like that. But, you know, I'm, I'm all right with that. And so Jonathan and Benny have to get Cora out of there and hopefully back to the site in time for the return of her stranger and the birth of her baby and that is uh i'm gonna leave it hanging there um and we'll talk about the episode uh i like the episode um uh more the second time i watched it this time around the first time until they actually get to cora which is about 20 minutes in or so it's kind of eh come on guys pick it up it's called Cora stranger we saw the opening i know you guys didn't but we got it we got to pick it up where you kind of sit there waiting for someone to say the name cora and you're like ah now we're on track and and you, you get the, the weird scene like the scene in the records room where the guy um isn't helpful to jonathan at all and then that 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 cop gives him the ticket and is really threatening and it's it it's sort of they, they never quite explain what exactly is going on like between the police in the town and the arm guys from i'm gonna call them the army i'm not sure what what division they're from but they say they're the army guys it's never it, it looks like they're both working in tandem to cover up something and but it's never quite said you know so like you, you know as as they're taking cora away ivy tells the as, as you as you heard there ivy tells that those are two cops who um uh who she she has arrest uh benedict and jonathan but then they're taken to the army base so it's a little confusing trying to figure out that it's almost like they keep they forget that um the cops and the army you know don't normally aren't really working together on this sort of thing and it's but it's it's fine it's fine it's it's just something that kind of struck me because you know so many of these begin with um uh, you know the cops telling him to get out of town and stuff like that, and then the army shows up, and then they kind of don't differentiate between them. You you think they'll, it's it's like when they show Benedict and Jonathan in the end uh, imprisoned at the at the hospital there. Um, you think the cops took him there, the cops, and the cops actually take him there earlier too. So so it's sort of like mm, maybe the cops are working for the army, and I don't know. I mean, it doesn't. I mean, there is this base nearby, but it doesn't sort of, the, the town doesn't present itself as kind of like it's an army town, army, you know you know what I mean, like an army-based town. It just seems like a regular, t- it seems more a blueberry-based town than anything, because there's jokes about blueberries and things like that. So, uh, what else do we have going on in this episode? Yeah, I, I, think it's a, I think it's a good episode. Um, I think it's, uh, once you watch it the second time, uh, I, I thought that sort of first 15, 18 minutes, um, I liked it more the second time through. Uh, not when I knew when Cora was going to show up and sort of what they were doing in the first half. I was I was in, uh, I, and I was in. Now, now the, the tricky thing with the episode is that aliens, impregnated women, impregnating women, um, old pregnant women, um, jerks in the army willing to kill and, and co- to cover up, do whatever they have to do. Yes. That's what the X-Files did for its, you know, what, 11 seasons and a couple of movies and things like that. And it did it very well. And the thing is, the X-Files, 
um, at its best does this sort of plotline much better than Shadow Chasers is doing it here. Now, I can't imagine, like, you know, Shadow Chasers is only a one-off, obviously. I mean, and, and obviously, too, I've said, like, Shadow Chasers to me is like an in-between spot in between like Kolchak, the Night Stalker, and X-Files. And the X-Files, I think, gets it completely right because um, uh, it, it, it does something that it does something right that I think Kolchak does right that Shadow Chasers doesn't always do. And it does something right that Shadow Chasers does that Kolchak doesn't do. And that is the problem with Kolchak is that he's almost always in Chicago. Every episode is almost always in Chicago. So sometimes he gets sent away, but there's just something about like every single like monster and alien in the world is coming up. Maybe it happens in Chicago. Uh, whereas in Shadow Chasers, they send him all over the country. But in Kolchak... The things are real. The things that are happening are real. Whereas in Shadow Chasers, they do that thing where they're constantly trying to discredit them. And even Jonathan at the end of this episode is sort of like, oh, well, the, the, they said um, it might be a helicopter, it might be lasers, it might be this or that. And Ivy seems a little unsure on it, but Benedict is like, are you nuts? Are you nuts? Are you going to deny what you just saw? I mean, like like a half a dozen disco people came out of, of, of something we saw come out of the sky. They held a 75-year-old woman up in the air. She gave birth while they were holding her up in the air to a baby with no, like, yuck on it or anything. And then they all got back in there. They all vanished into light, and the thing rose up. Helicopters? Lasers? Jonathan, no. No, 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 no. I, I, I don't even fully... He, he doesn't say he believes that, but that's what he says the, the government official word on that is. Although... One of the interesting things is that the government isn't there in the end, um, but we'll, we'll talk about that too. But Kolchak wins out and have well, obviously a great character. I mean, as much as I like Benny and Jonathan, I think Kolchak is a better character. Uh, but Kolchak wins out because everything is happening. Those are vampires, those are werewolves, those are aliens, those are, you know, headless motorcycle riders and gigantic lizard monsters and things like that. Um, and, and, it, it, it's funny because an X-Files is able to do, you know, is the things in X-Files are, are actually things that are happening. Um, yes, yeah, sometimes there are episodes with, like, human, like, serial killers and things like that. Um, but, but like, the, you know, if they if they go after a vampire, you know, it's it's a trailer park full of vampires. You know, if there's a werewolf, what is it? Shapes? and It's some kind of werewolf, you know. And and they also have them travel the country, so it's not in all, they haven't traveled the world. So it's not in one spot, which is why I, one of the reasons why I think the X-Files works uh, much better than Shadow Chases and Kolchak did. But this isn't an X-Files podcast, so we're going to talk about Cora's Stranger. And I think overall it's a pretty darn good uh, UFO-led uh, episode. I like the fact that so many of the X-Files ones, as they go along, you sort of can lose sight of... The focus is so on Mulder and Scully that you can you could sort of lose sight occasionally. Like... Forgive me, there is a sequence, there is a bit in there where they find a bunch of old pregnant women. And you don't really get a feel for any of them. You just sort of see it and it's like, whoa, what's going on? Whereas in this, there is a thing really with Cora where she's like, when she's pleading with Ivy, like, hey, you know, I've, I've been waiting so long for him to come back and I've had his, carrying his child for so long and please just, I'm never, you gotta let me out. You know, I want to see him. I want to see my child. If you make me stay in here, I'll never see my child. I'll never see him again. And it's, I think it works. I think it works. Um, you, you don't really get too much out of Cora. I think Ivy is more of a sort of developed character. But I think I think that works, and I think overall it's it's a solid episode. And basically, the episode is the guys arrive, investigate, discover that you know 
they need to get Cora to this site before she gives birth to a baby and the aliens arrive and they get her there. Spoiler, they get her there. Um, everything's okay in the end. And the end is interesting too because they, they are chased out of the army base. And I will say, Jonathan, I never quite know how Jonathan's going to react to things. Like I said, his ending reaction was like, what? Really? You didn't you didn't think that was a UFO, huh? Okay, sure. But like when they when they race out of the army base and they go through the uh, you know that thing at the you know the the gate you know that you you push on it and rises up in the air the 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 barrier thing it goes up in the air and then it comes back down and they burst through it and it shatters all over the place the joy on Jonathan's face when he was like did you see that is is palpable and is 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 lots of fun it's really great when they the two these two guys get going. Um, and it's interesting because what happens is they're being followed by several Jeeps, one of which has that jerk guy in it. They take an access road and hide. And then suddenly it's nighttime and they go to the spot. The aliens show up, take Cora, take the baby. And then we get the wrap up scene in the end, which is like a few days later or whatever. But the, the weird thing is like once they hide from the army, we never see the army. Literally, we never see them again. They're mentioned in the end, but we never see them again, which is why it's strange that they have an official thing for it when I don't see anyone there. It's, it's, it's these three people who they don't have to... It's these three people who one of them, they fire Ivy, but they won't prosecute her because she signed a form saying she didn't see anything or stuff like that. But Jonathan and Benny are Jonathan and Benny. You know, so so it's weird that they came up with it. Oh, maybe that's what they do. I don't know. It just it's it's one of those things. What I expected to have happen was, as they're taking the baby away and Laura's uh, Cora is standing there with her stranger, her love. Th- that was it. It was it was Cora and love. I was going to say Cora is standing with her love, and it became Laura. Cora is standing there with her love. I thought that would be the moment when the army showed up. You know, and maybe they'd shoot at him or something, and he'd like raise a hand, and the guns would vanish or the bullets would melt or something like that. Instead, it's it's um, they're able to um, they don't introduce that, which I think would have been cliche and crass, um, but is also at that time actually probably wouldn't have been cliche and crass to see that. But I I like the way they did it instead. So yeah, over overall, I think that's about it on this one. It's, it's a pretty straightforward episode. It's going to feel very um, familiar to folks who know X Files because it's it's a precursor to that proto in in some respects. Although uh, although there is no explanation for who the aliens are, what they are, what's going on, where they're from. For all I know, they are some sort of hippies who landed a helicopter in there. They could have, I don't know, but I think they're. I think the way they hold her up in the air well and it's they hold her up in the air and they have her deliver the baby and everything the the baby comes out and everything i think that's um that's probably pretty extraterrestrially i will say the image i thought of was when when you see cora they're holding her up in the air and her kind of head is tilted back and her head like upside down is looking towards the camera i was reminded of was the norman j warren's in seminoid the poster for that um which in some ways is you know the same thing but but less uh friendly not all aliens are friendly and um at the end of the day think think of it as like a, it's a mix of x-files with et you know the um you know uh cora go home kind of thing and, and they do get her out there it, it does wrap up so pat though which is fine i like i said i don't if i i think if the show had gone on for two three four seasons i i would bet well maybe not but I would bet cash money there would have been an episode in, uh, say, season three or something, maybe called, uh, it's too obvious, maybe The Return of the Stranger or some, a better title than that, where they meet a young man 
with weird powers, and maybe the government's after him or something. Maybe it's that guy is back, or, or maybe the government isn't involved at all, and that's their son or their or it's their daughter or their or their child, who who ages much you know in a different fashion than we do. So that's what confuses them because it's only been three or four years, and suddenly they get mixed up with him, and maybe they see Ivy again, or I don't know. But but I think I think this this could have been a, a thing they could have explored more had the show continued beyond this point. But of course, by this point, the show's already canceled, so it is. Kind it is kind of sad going over the um i mean when the show's canceled and we're doing these episodes i mean it's one thing well like cliffhangers a masquerade where we had you know one episode and i think auto man we have one episode but it's another thing with like beyond westworld where there were five and only three aired you know police squad right four aired i believe of that but this one there were 13 nine aired and we are in the back for the armed forces network one thank you so much armed forces network for showing them and uh, i think i i will wrap this up here um, episode next is, um, geez, I forget. Does it matter? Crisp, flavorful fish sandwiches, golden brown and crunchy outside, and tender and juicy inside for a snack or a meal. Auto Man, Episode 2, Staying Alive While Running a High Flash Dance Fever, directed by Winrich Kolb, written by Glenn A. Larson, original air date December 22, 1983. This one begins with uh, Walter Nebuchadnezzar and Lieutenant Curtis uh, meeting a woman, I think, I believe her name is Caldwell? Uh, Roxanne Caldwell, I believe, down at the docks. She has some information about something going on. Um, she's kind of kidnapped, and they race after her, and they wind up, well, well, Walter and Automan wind up sort of on the estate of a judge um, who's very powerful, and they get in a lot of trouble for bringing cops and everything on this judge's estate because they, you know, they can't find anything. And they all end up in Vegas, and Automan is there having a great time because, and, and we'll mention this, um, there's a constant sort of power supply in, in Vegas, so he, he never runs down, which is cool. And they're there trying to find Roxanne and try to figure out what's going on, if this judge is involved in any way, shape, or form. And yes, there are gangsters, and there are jerks, and the mob is there, and there's under stu- uh, undercover stuff going on, and... Um, I guess I'll leave it there. They go to Vegas to try to try to find this woman and figure out what's going on and if this judge is involved. And um, everyone kind of arrives there, and Auto Man's having a great time being cool. I'll, I'll leave it there. Chris and I are going to chat all over this in a moment. Listen to this, and we're on the other side. All right, everyone. It's Auto Man Episode 2. Staying alive while running a high flash dance fever. You just heard the plot breakdown of it, and I'm here with my good friend uh, Kristen Hawes, aka Kiki Writes, and we are in the middle of some kind of awful internet experience right at the moment. It's going really cuckoo on us. We're not sure what end it's from. We just got a new modem. Maybe it's a little wacky. She's having some trouble there. Kr- Kristen, how you doing? Tell me how you doing. I am tired, but I am never too tired for Oh Man. Yay! 
so I guess I guess let's do this. Let's let's just dive right in since we we are having some internet issues this time. We'll just dive right in just in case we get cut off or, or, or something odd happens. Maybe who knows? Maybe Auto Man is on the line and he is sort of using some of the Wi-Fi or something, and that's why we're having troubles. I don't know. But but Kristen, what did you think of staying alive while running a high flash dance fever? My one complaint about this episode is that there was not enough William Wyndham. Everything else I liked about it. I I thought mm. this was a really good episode. Just because it's fun and we get to see Auto Man um trying to be a little more like people mm-hmm. instead of like a computer program and I thought that that had some kind of sweet moments in it. Um the actual plot which I had to watch like the episode like three times to make it <laughs> stick in my head. Mm. It isn't that bad. I I kind of like the idea that the mobsters are trying to frame a judge. Mm. But yeah, I and I liked that they went to Vegas. That's always fun. It's always nice. And and on a second episode too, going to Vegas. So I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. What did you think of it? I I enjoyed it too. The uh, I, I will say um, you're right about William Wyndham. I think you can never have enough of him. And I thought he was going to be in there more. Um, and I, I think the only real problem I, I had with the episode, I mean, apart from it's written by Glenn A. Larson, so it has that sort of at 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 one time kind of like sort of almost overcomplicated plotting where there seems to be a bit too much going on, and yet some of it's kind of just so very simplistic, you know, going from here to there, and there's a chase and things like that. That's a kind of, like you said, you can almost, you can lose track of what the, what what everybody is supposed to be doing. Um, and I did on occasion, um, but the only the only real drawback for me with the episode was that um, I did not like, and I think I mentioned this last time. I just I just am not a fan of those scenes with like the police chief and the the woman in it, you know, where they're just like. You know, if if the internet wasn't so goofy right now, I was actually going to pretend to do my imitation of that woman for the rest of our conversation, which would basically be being being condescending to you all the time. But I don't think it'll work because we're having internet issues. But I just I that the chief gets out of hand for me, and that 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 woman I don't know why she keeps bothering him over and over again. I wish she wouldn't. Um, th- those are the only parts I don't like. Every time they show up, I like, oh, God. Um, but the rest of the episode is is lots of fun, although I'm not the scene where Auto Man is dancing and he takes his shirt off, a la John Travolta, and, you know, he's got his blue shiny Tron thing on underneath. Well, he doesn't have it on. It's it's his body. Um, I, 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 I am wondering what made him do that. He, he seems too smart to uh, to do that. But apart from that, um, uh, yeah, I think I think it's I think it's a fun episode, and it's you uh, caught up in the moment. Exactly, exactly. Yep. Yeah, it happens. Um, what 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 else do you have now? Now, like I said, folks, we got some internet craziness going on here, so our, our conversation won't be quite as bantery as it normally is. Uh, it'll be more sort of back and forth. But um, what what else do you have on this episode? What what really grabbed you about it? Apart from dancing. Yeah. Yeah, just so everybody knows, my internet got wet. Whenever it rains, <laughs> it gets the internet wet, and, it, and the internet doesn't like to work until it dries out. So that's my issue on my end. Um, I the, Okay, so the dancing was so cringeworthy yet fabulous. You can't take your yes. eyes away from it. 
I'm pretty sure it's not Chuck Wagner dancing. I think it's just judging by the hair that guys wearing a wig. Um, <laughs> but it, what's so great about it is because what leads to this is um, Auto Man doesn't know how young people act, and so to tell him how, teach him how young people act. Uh, Walter gives him three movies to watch. Uh, Saturday Night Fever, Flashdance, and Staying Alive, which it's 1983. Two of those movies came out in 1983. Saturday Night Fever came out in 1977. I think I think that like by 1983 we were past that that bit. I thought yeah. as I was only three at the time, so I don't <laughs> my memory's not the greatest. But um, so I, I was a little offended that he actually gave him uh, Staying Alive because I'm like that that movie's not really that good. Why, why would you do this to him? Just, just You don't have to make him watch it just because he has the sequel to, to Saturday Night Fever. So because of him watching that, that's what leads to him dancing and taking off his shirt. I mean, he was like going full Chippendales at that point. It was magnificent. Everybody on the floor, nobody on the floor seemed to question it, I guess, because it's Vegas. They've been up for 48 hours. They've been drinking. God knows what they're high on. And then Walter walks in to see him. And that is like every time I watch that, I laugh out loud at him saying, oh, my God, because <laughs> it is just so perfect. Yes. And it encapsulates what everybody is feeling watching mm -hmm. this scene. It's, it's pretty fantastic. I love I love they, they put him in the casino and the 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 um, one of the things with the first episode was just the um, oh, you know, it's uh, it's, you know, Dawn is approaching and I'm losing energy, you know, this, that and the other. But it's great because when he's in the casino, he says, you know, you know, casinos have their own. Well, this has their own, has its own power source. So I can just keep going forever, which is cool. I like that because that takes away that one sort of um, uh, sort of Achilles heel that he has. So he's able to keep being cool the whole time. And let's see. The dancing is great. I was uh, I, 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 I always like seeing uh, Mary Crosby in something, although. Um, I don't know. Can you, I, I? I don't think you can really spoil Glenn A. Larson things. They're, they're Glenn A. Larson things. They, they just are what they are. But her character is, forgive me, her character is killed in it, and she's such sort of an important character in the first half, and she's killed so casually. It's almost like, huh? What happened? And, and actually, the first time I watched it. I when William Wyndham discovers her body, I think I must have looked away or I was taking a note and I missed her body. I didn't find out about it until a little later on that they'd actually killed her. It's it's so it's oddly done for the for the first person listed as guest star on the episode. It's a little oddly handled. It was a nice twist though, because you was. you didn't expect her to to get offed, even mm. though they did do it really casually. Yeah. You didn't expect her to, to die. And you didn't expect them to take her body through the slot area yes. of the casino. Do they do that? Do they, is that really how they do that? Yes. <laughs> they, like, casually just wheel this corpse through the slot area because that's where Walter and, and Auto Man see her. And Auto Man uses his auto vision so he can see through the – they at least mm -hmm. have her covered. He can see through the covering to see that it's her. Yeah. But I'm just like, y'all just like, do people die so often in your casinos <laughs> that y'all just wheel them through the slot area and nobody blinks? <laughs> That's not great. Here's, here's another one. Oh, well. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that... You know, that's that's sort of, you know, Glennie Larson, like I said, he can overplot it sometimes. And then sometimes when he just needs to be expedient, 
well, how are they going to find out she's dead? Why not just have them, you know, roll right by the buffet? No, there's no buffet there. But, you know, it, it literally is in the middle of everything. And it's kind of like, okay, yeah. But, yeah, you're right. You don't you don't expect that to happen, which is kind of a nice little twist. Um, uh, let's see. What else do I have about this one? I did – it was fun hearing um, – it was fun hearing uh, Beat It playing at one point when um, uh, Mr. Arnez Jr. was at. Why did I suddenly forget his name? Nebuchad. Why did I. Why am I forgetting his name? Walter. Yes. Um, uh, um, Walter. Yes. Um, uh, it, it's nice. There's a moment, yeah, where he's standing at. It's it's weird. He's standing at the. the, the, the um, the the phone booth and you can hear beat it playing in the background obviously a cover version of beat it and yet he gave um such strange you know he gave saturday night fever to auto man to watch you know it's like, why not show him thriller was thriller out i imagine thriller was out at that time show him that he could have done some zombie dances on the floor everyone would have loved it <laughs> yeah that would have been good i would i would have paid money to see auto man do a, the zombie dance from thriller that would have oh, been great oh my gosh um Oh, um, I do like uh, uh, what? What is it? The moment uh, where um, Auto Man is very worried about what his sign is, because uh, I think Mary Crosby's character has asked him what his sign was. He says, "What is my sign, Walter?" <gasps> yes. And, and Walter's response: Apple II. There you go. <laughs> well. And that, that scene kind of like it, it kind of hurt me a little because poor poor Auto Man here he he's trying to be more like people and Walter actually kind of pushed him a little bit to be to understand people more and so he's like it seemed very important to her to know what my sign is that I didn't know so mm-hmm. what's my sign and Walter who you know is constantly battling the the chief and the Roxanne mm-hmm. all the time about how important, you know, using computers is and how important it is to use Auto Man and whatnot. Like totally shoots him down and he's just like, Yeah, you're an Apple too instead of being like, Well, I created you in October early October, so mm. you're a Libra. You know, he yeah. doesn't even give him that. It's like, come on, Walter. Come that on. Been, that would have been sweet, yeah. Uh, uh another thing another thing I noticed that's interesting about the episode is um well, it's Glenn A. Larson, so you're going to have some sort of chase in it. But but the interesting thing about this one is that the big chase is at the beginning. There's a chase at the end, but it's kind of a little chase. And um, it feels um, – what's the word I'm looking for? It it, it feels like um, – not, not a lost cause, but it feels like you, you know what's going to happen. You know, the bad guy's not getting away, and it happens almost perfunctory. Uh, not quite, but um, – uh, it, and it's interesting to see, like, the... Because normally you'd save the big chase for the end, but this one has a big, huge, crazy chase in the first 10, 15 minutes, and then kind of becomes people standing around in a casino or assorted rooms for the rest of it, along with... I, I have to mention um, the actress who plays the bartender. Um, she she has... Um, I'm not sure I'm not sure the, the best term to use. She has a, uh, a rack... No, that's not a good term to use. What what is the um, just cleavage? She got a lot of cleavage, and um, she is played by an actress named uh, Angela A. Yes, yes, she's very busty. Oh please, yeah, 
she's she's busty. That's what it is. She's she's busty and she's not afraid to show it. Yes, and Cursor's a big fan. You know, Cursor likes Cursor likes his um, his cleavage, and but but she um, that's an actress named Angela Ames who died very young, uh, and she I know her best. She is in the an early BJ and the Bear episode from 1979 called Never Give a Trucker an Even Break where she plays a secretary of some crooked guy who does something or other and her main feature in that one you can guess what her main feature in that one is and so when I saw her in this I was like she looks very familiar and I was like oh it's the secretary from Thingy oh of course yes yeah. so, uh, it's nice to see her Glenny Larson likes to use folks over and over again and that was nice to see so what else do you have on this one? Yeah, I'm scanning my notes here to see see what we got. William Wyndham lives in a very nice house. I know it's not him. It's not his house. But that estate that he lives on is gorgeous. Thank you. Yeah. If William Wyndham were going to pick a house, it would look like that estate, I feel. Because that was a William Wyndham-worthy estate. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That should have been where he was. Yes. Um, let's see. Uh, I'm gonna do. A, I'm gonna do a scan of my notes here. See what else. Yeah. I, I will say this. Just. I. Um. I don't know if if the way like Roxanne, if if she's gonna treat Walter like this the entire run of the show. But who it gets on my nerves. And, but they save her life in the end. So you would think that would mean that she's not gonna act this way towards him anymore. Mm, you could be wrong. Yeah, I don't. I think she keeps this up for quite a while, which is really kind of annoying. Like, perhaps the peroxide's eaten through to her <laughs> gray matter because you know, at least at some point she should accept the fact that Auto Man's really good at this and mm -hmm. is actually useful, and maybe to stop being so condescending and doubting about all of this. But apparently, that's her default personality setting, which is unfortunate, mm -hmm. and. Honestly, I think we could we could probably do without her a big part of the time, at least yeah. in this episode, because that's all the that's the the sole purpose she serves is to uh, be kind of condescending and then get kidnapped by Robert F. Lyons. That's it. And and it's odd too because she almost if they hadn't killed Mary Crosby's character, sort of Mary Crosby might be the one who was supposed to get kidnapped or something. But I I don't know if Glennie Larson was like, well, you know what? I've suddenly realized that I've written this Roxanne character is completely unsympathetic. So let me have her get kidnapped, and maybe that'll draw some sympathy. I would say no, it doesn't. Um, but um, yeah, and. Uh, and she's she's always so like surprised whenever anything computery goes on or like auto man. She's always she's like she has no memory short term or long term apart from Walter's name. It's like she just she just never she doesn't retain anything, which is kind of annoying. She's a goldfish. She just she's got nothing really. Yeah. Which is unfortunate. I mean, I'm glad she's got a job and she's supporting herself, but I mean. It's it's just it's just unfortunate. I don't think that uh, so far, at least we've only well, this is only the second episode. But I don't think that uh, Glenn A. Larson's really done Roxanne much justice here yes. as a character. Yeah, some um some of uh, Glenn A. Larson shows when they start off, you get the feeling that they're a little more developed than others. 
and, and sometimes you get like, oh, yep, yeah, I got, I've got the episode playing right here, and Roxanne just came in the room, and she's got like, she's got her arms in front of her with her palms up, and you, and now she's got one hand on her hip, and you could just tell, like, she's just being rude and condescending, even though Walter's probably going to save the day with Auto Man in about ten minutes. Oh my gosh, and the face she just made, oh, I don't want to, yeah, she's getting on my nerves. Las Vegas, oh boy, Roxanne, we're gonna, we're, we're gonna. Oh, Roxanne. Um, what, what else do you have on this one? I'm going to make a final scan of my notes, and we will see what's going on. Because I, I realize one thing. One thing is that unlike the first episode where I had a thousand things to say, once I've sort of gone over the basics of Auto Man, I don't have a hell of a lot to say about this episode. It, it's entertaining. Auto Man is great. It's, it's fun to be in the casino. But um, there's not a lot... It, there's not a lot there. I, I I could be wrong though, but but please, what else do you have? No. It there's some little things like okay, so the beginning we have um, Jack meeting this the informant who turns out to be Mary Crosby later, and I just for me I was kind of like he seems to have a habit of meeting women at night in questionable locations. <laughs> yes. I don't know if this is a re- job requirement or just part of who he is, but I kind of like it. And then, so he, you know, they, the informant gets kidnapped and the chief leaves Walter and he, Walter goes to the phone booth. So if, if you're of a certain age watching this, it's going to be fascinating for you to watch how he works this phone booth. Yes. And this guy, this pimp and his, his, uh, employees pull up and he wants to use the phone too and what the one thing I let first of all this pimp is just so subtly dressed I was so disappointed but one thing I love about Walter is that he has this compulsion to explain exactly what he's doing instead of just saying hey buddy I'm using the phone just you know back off uh, he's like well I'm actually calling my computer right now and and it's like like, Walter, why? The pimp doesn't care. Yes, yes. You could tell him anything. He doesn't care. The, I, I, I love that pimp because um, uh, he, he not only makes some great faces when Auto Man shows up, uh, you know, and he does when, when Walter pulls his badge out. You think that badge matters to me, man? And then his, his, his employees run away at one point when Cursor shows up and creates some dollar signs above their heads. But at the end of all of it, as Auto Man and Walter are driving away, there's just a great moment where the pimp looks around, looks at the car going off into the distance, reaches into his jacket, pulls out like a little flask, and just throws it aside. So you get kind of everything, you know? It's like, I th- is he going is he gonna do the I'm never drinking again thing? Yes, he did that. And he just, he just does like everything you expect. I was actually hoping that we might follow him for a few extra scenes for a brief, like a, like a, like a Kurt Vonnegut novel, you know, where like the main character will meet someone and then we'll follow that person for a chapter and then go back to the main character. I forget what is that breakfast of champions. I forget which one that is that does that. But I was hoping for a split second that, um, what you, cause you like, you see the pimp, you see the car begin to pull away. You see him pull the flask out and throw it to one side. You see the car kind of going away. Then you see like one more shot of the pimp. And it's like, oh, they're going to stay with him. We're going to follow him for a few minutes just to see what he does next. Unfortunately, no. Eh, maybe in another show. Maybe in another time. In, 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 in the world that embraced Auto Man fully, that happened. 
but not in our world. Um, I th- what else? Do, what, do you have anything else on this? I think I'm, I think I'm about out. I'm looking at my notes here. Oh well, that the the pimp throwing away his flask was like the first one because the second uh, inter- encounter we had that was like that was when Walter sends a message to Auto Man through the cash register at the bar in the car oh, yes. the casino. There's a drunk sleep uh, drinking at the bar, and of course everything shakes when Auto Man shows up. And he's like, that's it. I'm only drinking at home. There I just see snakes. And I'm just <laughs> yes, like, that is a classic, classic joke. Yes. yes. <laughs> Maybe that was a network thing or something. Glenn, if, we're, if we pick up the show, you have to do this gag at least twice in the first episode there. You got it, guys. You got it. Oh, those classes, the, the best, the wino jokes, the best jokes. I'd forgotten about that guy. All right. I think, yeah, I think, I think I'm all set on this one. If you, if you got anything else, um, anything about the cast or anything, please, uh, please yell out. Um, okay. Uh, let's do, I have a little bit of trivia on this one. Okay. If I can find it. Oh, so as I mentioned, one of our bag, one of our bad guys is Robert F. Lyons, whom I love. You obviously, you should know him because he was in, um, Dark Knight of the Scarecrow, but he's been in a ton of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yes, and yes. it was funny because I had just watched before I watched this episode, I just watched him in an episode of Magnum PI and he was like two completely different people, not just in, you know, the character he played, but in look as well. Like mm-hmm. the first time I watched this, I didn't really recognize him as mm-hmm. Robert Flying because he's got a mustache and he's wearing glasses and his hair is neatly combed. And I'm not used to seeing him like that. So it was a joy to actually get to compare and contrast in a rather short order two of his characters, because he's a wonderful actor. He really is. Yeah, one other little piece of trivia that I found while I was digging through other stuff um, is that there is one more short-lived series that Glenn A. Larson did in 1983. So we've already talked about Manimal, and Masquerade, and now it's Auto Man. But there was another one called Trauma Center. Trauma Center. It's being written down. Yeah. Huh. And I found that because I, <laughs> I, I came across it while I was while I was looking at the cast because um, there was somebody that in there that was uncredited, and she had done something in in trauma for Trauma Center. And I didn't know it. All I know, I haven't been able to find it anywhere yet. But all I know is that it has Lou Ferrigno in it. And so I must see this. That's all. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I did not know that one. I guess if we can find it, we'll have you back on uh, after Auto Man. And we'll talk Trauma Center. Wow, Trauma Center. Yes. went on me. Okay. So, um, can find it. yes. If, so if that's all you have... Uh, where can we find you online? You can find me at my blog, kikiwritesabout.com. That is the home of my podcast, Bookum Dano, an old Hawaii Five-O podcast, and you should go listen to that after you're done listening to this. Yes, I'm doing some cross-promotion here. <laughs> Otherwise, you can uh, follow me on Twitter at kikiwrites. Excellent. Thank you again, as always. And let me, uh, I'm just going to say, that I'm going to say the title one more time, and then we're going to go on to the next segment Staying alive while running in a high fly stance fever. 
Three times fast. Staying alive while running a high flash dance fever. Staying alive while running a high flash dance fever. Staying alive while running a high flash dance fever. Next. Hello. You know, when you're fixing Italian food, everything has got to be just so perfect. Especially when you're making a pizza. I'm going to show you. Looks good? <laughs> you betcha my life. And it's a delicious. That's a pizza you get at the theater. So hurry up. That's episode 91, and yes, sometimes I do like the openings and closings and any interstitial bits to relate to the TV shows that we're talking about, and sometimes I just want to play old drive-in commercials at you. Aren't they fun? We got one more standing by. Ah, thanks, thanks everyone so much for listening. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Kristen. Uh, let's see, uh, where are we online? At eSuperTrain1 on Twitter. Eventually SuperTrain on Facebook. Email me at Danny, D-A-N-N-Y, Slacks, S-L-A-C-K-S, at Yahoo.com, or you can just message me over on, over on Twitter, on Facebook. That works just as easily. And, uh, anything else? Eventually, supertrain.blogspot.com. Feel free to leave a comment. And, uh, yeah, thanks, thanks again, everyone, for listening, and we will play out with this. Way down in old Virginia, Captain John Smith and Pocahontas shot their meat and aged it slow. They smoked it and they spiced it for flavor at its best. Genuine Smithville barbecue surpasses all the rest. Yes, folks, it's 300 years of tradition and taste you savor when you ask for a Smithfield barbecue James River brand at our refreshment center. In each flavorful morsel of meat, you can smell the hickory oak and applewood and taste the rare herbs and spices required for its cure. Here is truly a fresh new taste from an ancient recipe. Oh, oh, put me down, flavor of-